Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, Answers for Healing and Infinite Love, and my soon-to-be-released new book, A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, which share stories of knowing how your alignment to the world of universal energy and intuition offer opportunities to create your best life, both here in the physical world and beyond. I am most delighted to welcome Joseph Bickert, author of The Art of Decision-Making, for it is in the choices we make with the information available to us at the time that encourages us to create and live our life plan with purpose, prosperity, health, and joy. Hello, Joseph, and thank you for joining us today on Healing from Within. Hello, Sarah. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Joseph, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood and remember a person, perhaps a place or event that might have signaled to them or others the interests, work, and lifestyle they would pursue as an adult. Uh, for I have come to believe that in the child is the imprint or life path of that soul's destiny. So think back for a minute. Um, and I've got... I must say I've got a very vivid picture in my mind, and that's from a very early birthday. I can't tell you if it was my fourth or my fifth, but uh, I had been given this um, this costume, this outfit um, of, of a medical doctor or surgeon, mm. and I absolutely loved it. So my family was thrilled because they thought that was my vocation, and then they realized um, it wasn't when I became an investment banker in my first <laughs> career. They were very disappointed. <laughs> but... But, but I guess the, well let's look to... at that for a minute as an investment banker you supported companies and people for success and to make and create a better life so in a way you know the direction we're, we're taken in is part of a healing journey anyhow I, I would think so <laughs> yes and that's very generous and noble of you to say that. But I, I suppose that's absolutely right because what I really enjoyed in the, what was it, five or six years I spent doing that um, was was really being on the side of clients and, and really coaching them to make the most of their interactions with, uh, with investors, for example, which is right. what I then did for the last 20 years. I've been helping, you know, um, companies um, make the most of these interactions through, uh, coaching them, and 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 more recently as an executive coach, I, I developed this healing side of of the job, which is healing people through tough decisions that they make in business or in life, and and that's where the book comes from. Yes, and drawing from philosophy and psychology and literature and theology, I know you used decades of experience as an advisor around the world to explore why we make decisions and, and, and how we can be whole, both mind, body, and soul. And you mentioned the words of Miles Davis. It's not the note you play that's the wrong note. It is the note you play afterwards that makes it right or wrong. So what you're, you're talking about is resilience. Resilience in a physical world in order to sustain our emotional and spiritual um, wellness 
So yeah, mm-hmm. so you did. You are a healer. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> in, in a way. How is the art of decision making set up? And why is it important for people to confront the way they approach either decision-making or procrastinating? Mm -hmm. I think for for many people, whether in business or not, um, procrastination can be a very debilitating condition where it really stops people from moving ahead and stops people from progressing with their lives and from growing. So... Um, there was a French philosopher, Albert Camus, who famously said, we are the sum of the decisions we make. And I guess if we're able throughout our lives to make more decisions, uh, the sum becomes greater and we become a, a greater version of ourselves. And mm. that's, that's really what decided me to, to write this book. It's also, to be completely honest, dealing with my own history of procrastinating um, and and at one stage getting fed up with it and thinking no i've got to i've got to crack that and and it's because i managed to crack that one for myself that i thought other people can benefit from that as well you know it's funny talking about procrastination i'll never forget when i had a client sitting on the bench she wasn't there in the office to see me on that particular day and for some reason, she said to me, you're procrastinating. <laughs> and I I took such great offense to it because there's nothing about me these last 25 years as I've <laughs> pursued my destiny and became uh, an intuitive healer and medium and written three books as I was guided to do uh, by people along the way, guides, teachers, and from spirit. And... Uh, there was never a time I I wasn't trying to listen to the messages and to um, do what was good for myself and for many others. So, yes, procrastination might serve a purpose at some time if you don't have enough information or the resources to make the move or change. But change will come anyhow, so you'll be moved out of procrastination at some point. So... It's not something, you know, that that I like to think about within myself. I don't think I've been that way. But let's good, go good, good. good. So let's go on to how is the art oh you you just said, you just told us the book is broken into four parts and is punctuated with short practical essays so we can have a a compelling exploration of the process of decision-making. So let's go on to indecision, indecision. What makes us indecisive? What holds us back and why? You suggest it is the conflict between our heads and our hearts. Indeed it is. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that divide? Yes, and um, the the conflict between head and heart um, is at the heart of one of our main fears. Um, and I think what, one thing I, I cover really in the first part of the book is, is what is this fear about? So the head and the heart are two parts of ourselves that are fighting and conflict and therefore stopping us from making decisions. Um, but sometimes there's more parts of ourselves which are split and, and, and fight. So that's why someone as, as clever and, and as astute and, and refined as Aristotle so I'm talking about the Greek philosopher uh, mm-hmm. way back in the 4th century. 
um, compared uh, decision-making with uh, a deliberation process as if you were in the courts of justice. And that's the deliberation within all you know, the parties involved. And it's exactly the same way. If I struggle with a decision, sometimes I may not realize that there are various parts of me be it the heart, be it the, the, the spirit, being all other parts of myself, fighting to make a decision. So I'll give you a practical example. Um, if I struggle with deciding about a holiday, for example, which is a very you know, prosaic, pragmatic decision for most people, but some people will struggle with something like that. It may be because you know, there is a part of me, the serious part of me, that thinks, no, maybe it's frivolous to go on holiday at this time. Mm. I should be working. There is the, you know, the, the bit of me which is focused on maybe I should be saving money for another project which is more important. There's the part of me that hedonist that thinks, no, I should really enjoy a holiday because I deserve it, and so on and so forth. And different parts of me may be disagreeing on the output, on the outcome of the actual decision until I'm aware of who they are and try to find a compromise amongst them. So that's why Aristotle came up with this idea of deliberation as an analogy. I, I use negotiation in the book as an analogy, which is you know, roughly the same idea. Different parts of us negotiating for, for a positive uh, decision where, 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 where we're at peace uh, with. And it's not always us deciding or deliberating sometimes it's the imprint from our childhood traumas or what we learned in society or our parents or teachers impressed upon us and it's embedded in our soul memory and so the fight is between the ego and the illusion of what is reality and the harder soul consciousness or subconsciousness which knows our plan and what we really desire that's the fight you're talking about and it, it goes on within all of us now can you tell us a time when you or one of your clients had a challenging decision to make and how they were finally able to make the best choice? Mm-hmm. Um, there was, a, I mean, the example that comes to mind uh, is in a company where a senior executive didn't really know how to deal with someone who reported to him. And the issue was that this person had been promoted uh, but in, in, in his new, more senior role, uh, was underperforming, whereas in the past he had been uh, performing very well. And according to that institution, uh, in his current role, because he wasn't performing and he was part of the bottom performers, um, he should be let go. And, and he, was, he was finding it really difficult to let this person go because in the past there had been a high performer hmm. and and you know here what we saw was different parts of of this person wanting to make different decisions and and we came to a compromise and and he came to a compromise through reflection about this different part of himself which led to offering this employee a few options one of them was you can stay in your more senior role, but you will have to up your game by the end of the year. Or we give you the option of returning to your previous level of seniority, 
but that would be at obviously a, a lower pay, which is what you got before, mm. and that will be with you know different expectations from you and and and, and from yourself, um, and gave this person a choice, and and to his surprise, this person decided to go back to the less senior role, and was very happy to do that because actually. because he knew. He was challenged yeah. and he was happier before. Yes, giving people a decision uh, to be comfortable where they are and do what they're best at was a very wise choice indeed. Mm-hmm. So I want to I tell you a story of mine. You know, since over the past 25 years, I have had many mystical experiences and have come to understand the duality of our spiritual and physical life and know we have a life plan and are guided to make choices. It really doesn't matter, the choice almost. There's no good or bad or right or wrong. There's only opportunity, experiences, and the growth of our soul wisdom uh, that we've come to. Um, We've come to this challenging physical world for the refinement of that energy. Uh, But I had a choice to make. It was over 20 years ago, and I had begun my Reiki energy healing practice. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I began to download information as a medium. And a teacher of mine told me, well, you are a medium, Cheryl, and you will have to accept the responsibility. And I struggled with it because I was trained with the energy healing to do follow-up pattern and and mm-hmm. I was comfortable with that but giving messages I didn't know how people would respond so it mm-hmm. took it took me about a year and what happened was I was at a spiritual retreat and Robert Close I don't know if you've heard of him he's a British medium he walked over to me at this retreat and he said to me that my father said my father was in spirit that I should be giving the messages to my clients as it was going to help them along with the energy healing to resolve and release old traumas and make decisions. And I never doubted it again. Mm, I, I, a... I made the choice and decision. No matter what anyone said, there would be people who would not understand how it worked or was done or how I had changed Uh, from who I was, a very methodical, practical business person, uh, to this ethereal entity (laughs) who Mm -hmm. dealt with spirit on that level. So mm, that's that's a story in line with not... Well, there was a little procrastination there. (laughs) Actually, there was just a teeny... Because I didn't want to uh, overextend um, this gift to... I didn't want to hurt anyone in any way. So it yeah. was a big responsibility how delicately to help people deal with their traumas and their emotional stories. So it fits right in here. took a little while, but the decision was made. And I've never looked yes. back, never, never, never had another moment. So we're encouraging people listening to make those choices. Because right or wrong, they will have the experience they need. Use the information you have and the facts you have. Get support. Talk to people. You know, make an intelligent choice or decision. But make a choice at some point. I agree. And, and you know, I think uh, one thing that this process has taught me, this process of reflecting on, on decision-making has taught me, 
is that really in most cases there is no right or wrong decision. No. And I think one thing people, and especially procrastinators, are obsessed with is I'm afraid of making the wrong decision. Mm. But when, when you realize there is no such thing as the wrong decision, as you said, you know, quoting Miles Davis, it's the note you play after that makes it right or wrong, that makes yes. the note right or wrong, um, then it's truly liberating. And, you know, I'm calling from London, and, and of course, uh, five centuries ago, we had a, a playwright in this country, uh, William Shakespeare, who wrote this famous line, to be or not to be, that is mm -hmm. the question. And, and most people assume that what, that what that means is, you know, we always have a choice to be or not to be, and, and it's the choice between right or wrong. Uh, but interestingly, the first version of Hamlet doesn't say that at all. What the first version of, of Hamlet says is, to be or not to be, there's the point. Mm. And what Shakespeare is indicating is not, it's not about whether we choose A or B, whether we choose to, to be or not to be, to do or not to do. The whole point is that we can make that choice. So it's really how we stand up in front of a choice. It's not the ultimate decision we make. That's almost irrelevant. But it's the attitude with which we stand in front of a decision. And uh, make it. Absolutely. And my next question is, where art thou? How, yes, 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 yes. how and where we get stuck and the importance of relaxing one's grip. Relaxing yeah, yeah, yeah. into the fear relaxing into the situation that's the way to move forward so tell mm. us uh tell us something about that yeah so where are uh, where are you that's very much the that's the first question in the most famous book in the world or one of them anyway the bible and and the first question which is asked from adam uh in eden by god himself is uh, in one word in the biblical language in Hebrew is Ayeka, which means where are you, where art thou? So it's fascinating to me that the first question in the Bible is asking man, where are you? Now, of course, God knows full well where Adam is hiding. It doesn't need a GPS system to, <laughs> to track him down. Absolutely. <laughs> but the question is, the question is, does Adam know where he is? Does man, do we know, do you know, Cheryl, do I know where I am in this moment? And I'm not saying geographically, I'm saying in our, whether it's in our lives, in our careers, in our emotional life, in any aspect of who we are. And, and because we avoid that question, uh, we, are, we avoid answering that question, we tend to hide. And then the question becomes, where are we hiding? Now, when we think about decision-making, uh, what I have identified is, is six um, chambers, if you want, where we may be hiding. And, and we need to find ourselves, to track ourselves down in these chambers in order to reactivate our decision-making. So the question is, where are we stuck? And what are these chambers? The first one is what I call the chamber of creativity. Uh, I think the first mistake uh, we make when, when making decisions, and the reason we get stuck, is immediately we're drawn to looking at options. And that limits us, that limits our scope. Before looking at options, we've got to really think with an open mind, with a lateral mind, if you want, lateral thinking, and, and outside the box. And there is so much fascinating research which shows, for example, that when you ask a group of people to create something, to come up with a creative task, adults do better when they are primed with the words, try to think like the seven-year-old version of yourself. 
where they are prime, when they are primed with these words, they do better in creativity exercises. So it's really about try to think like the child you were once in order to be more creative. So without prejudices, without the cynicism that comes up later in life. And I think that's, that's the very, very much the first chamber is that, that creativity chamber. It's your soul because your soul is eternal and has great wisdom. So when we talk of the inner child, you're talking of that internal source that knows the truth of being, to be and not to be, to yeah, be, yes, to, yes, yes. To, to be your eternal soul nature, your divine mm. magnificent self beyond the physical reality and world that stifles you and slows you and slows you down from achieving the the great love and and joy you can have even amidst tragedy or catastrophe what the world is experiencing now all the changes throughout the world in every country if you just turn on the news mm. is is a necessary uh environment for us as a human race to evolve and raise our energy and raise our awareness to a level of knowing consciousness or knowing we are part of this universal source of life, creativity, as you were just talking about. And we're unlimited. We have unlimited potential. And we have not allowed it to blossom because of the fear of surviving in this physical world. The same way Adam that you were talking about hid. He hid from God because he was hiding from himself because he was afraid he would not be perfect. And he didn't have to be perfect. And imperfection is the way we really uh, find our way to making the decisions and choices and going forward past procrastination or fear. I think of that as a, a form of fear. And uh, yes, so, so these are the things we're talking about here today. And for our listeners, uh, I'm going to use the term the deciding mind. Can you share with us something about that? You use it in the book, the deciding yes. mind. Yes, and in fact, it's, it's, it's actually the, the title I wanted to give the book initially. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I uh, like it, it too. The Art of Decision Making. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, the deciding man is really us stepping up into our own volition, fully inhabiting uh, our mind, the place where decisions are made. So um, we just talked about, you know, hiding, for example. Where where are we hiding when we when we refuse, when we avoid decisions? And and then the full use of our deciding mind is also knowing. You know, what's the process the mind goes through? So, you know, the actual process in which neurologically we make decisions, we'd like to think that we're rational beings, that, that it's always a rational decision. But way before, way before we express a thought, that decision has already, already been made for us at two levels. The first one is emotions. The second one is feelings. And there's a difference between emotions and feelings in that emotions are almost a purely uh, physical expression of, of that decision when feelings already involve the mind. Uh, but it's this notion that uh, we've already experienced the decision at a purely emotional level before experiencing it at the level of our feelings, and then it becomes a thought. 
So that process, which is again proven by neurology, is to me very fascinating because what that means is when, when we struggle with the expression of a thought, we've got to dig deep into how I truly feel about something. And in order to identify that, sometimes we've got to go to the raw level of emotions, the physical emotion um, prompted by decision. Yes, and hopefully not prompted by fear or the need to be perfect. What would you like readers of The Art of Decision to take away with them after reading your book? I mean, since you were talking about perfectionism, it's, it's really abandoning that quest. Uh, as I, I, you quoted me in the book, it, it is narcissistic. Um, wanting perfection is wanting to be godlike, which is, mm. again, completely uh, erroneous as a quest. And, and on, that, on that front, I remember these words by Hannah Freud, um, Sigmund Freud's daughter, who wrote, In our dreams, our eggs are cooked to perfection. But, of course, we can't have them. <laughs> and that's the problem with perfectionism. It's unrealistic. So back to your question, what would I want people to take away from, from reading the book? Well, uh, the short answer is it's not one thing. I think the way the book is structured is that some chapters, some pages will talk to people in a different way, and then everyone will take something different from it. But I can tell you what I take myself from from writing that book and from having read my own book and edited my own book, uh, it's really um, this lib- liberating feeling of um, there is no right or wrong. It's about digging deep. It's about identif- identifying what uh, Spinoza uh, called one's inner necessity and trying to get closer to what one's sense of necessity is. So for Spinoza, and I'm talking about the 17th century philosopher, uh, there was no free choice. There was no free choice. You know, there was no decision in that respect. Everything that needs to happen will happen. But can you identify that flow? Can you identify that, that necessity within you? And that's really, to me, the key to a successful attitude to decision-making. Excellent. Well said. Now, Carl Jung, you, you wrote this in, in, in your book. And I took this quote here. Carl Jung wrote, Intuition is concerned with time. The intuitive Mm -hmm. person is able to see around the corners, to have hunches about things, and is more interested in the possibilities of things than in their present existence. Intuition is what enables creativity. And that's what we've been talking a bit about today. So, and uh, I would engage our listeners to think about developing their entire range of spiritual gifts. And intuition is a very powerful form of getting to know yourself and the world and to have your best life and creation. So I like that quote that you wrote. And I want to thank thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank you, Joseph Bickard, author of The Art of Decision-Making, for sharing the many areas of study, integrating philosophy, psychology, neurology, literature, art, history, and theology, for addressing a crucial skill needed by all of us, the ability to observe, process, and filter through much information so we can make viable choices to improve our personal and collective lives. To read more about this, go to Joseph 
BickArt.com or Amazon.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, I believe we have heard that the process of decision-making has been a thought of many philosophers, psychologists, and authors who have often come to the recognition that the human condition, fear, and trauma often harm a person's sense of well-being, and it is in recognizing the event that created any dysfunction that we become confident and trust that inner small voice of intuition or spiritual guidance and become more adept at moving forward to make choices or decisions that advance our human development. We have learned that decision-making is about discernment, knowing what our personal needs are, and then allowing and accepting whatever is feasible to move us towards health, prosperity, and self-awareness. We have also discovered that the act of moving from one's comfort zone by making decisions is the journey that helps us to know ourselves, our true essence, and our ultimate purpose in life. Joseph Bickart wrote, Closer to home when I was planning to spend time in Rome to work on this book, I mentioned to the author Martin Lloyd Elliott that on this occasion I was not intending to bring my camera and indulge in one of my favorite hobbies, street photography, as I wanted to focus on my writing. He subtly suggested that this might be a mistake because the creative energy I get from photography would transfer to my writing. I am glad and humbled to confirm he was right. Ultimately, the combinations of contraries is the best, the sign and cause of our multi-sidedness, something to be engaged and encouraged by everyone. The other direction, one-sidedness, which for many leads to comfortable habit, can also lead to neuroses or the inability to tolerate ambiguity or being stuck. Joseph and I would ask you to empower yourself to once again trust the intuitive nature that is within each of us and access the energy of inspiration that flows from universal source and informs us of our dual nature as both spiritual and physical beings, always with the potential to create the life we need through making choices that are neither good or bad, but just give us the experience we need to grow and learn. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within, and I invite you to my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to leaders in the metaphysical, scientific, spiritual, educational, and transformational fields, visionaries, psychologists, and energy healers, healers who share insights into the human and divine aspects of our circle of life. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net or dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you.